And she sat me down and she said, well, I don't know how you've stayed sober, but you've stayed sober. But what we're going to do is we're going to put those traditions, we're going to take them off the wall and we're going to put them in your life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Welcome, welcome from Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of PJ that you heard at the beginning of this here episode, number 245 of Sober Speak. And you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode is being brought to you by Anonymous and Adrian and Tanya and Brad. What may you ask that Anonymous and Adrian and Tanya and Brad do to deserve such a mention? Well, they went to our websites, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Anonymous and Adrian and Tanya and Brad. This episode right here is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in right here, right now. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. All right, so me and the fam are coming off a uh, a post-COVID thing here, and I know there's millions and millions of people that have had to deal with this, and I'm not a uh, looking for any sympathy. I just, uh, it's been quite interesting here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I got it. Then, uh, Mrs. M got it, the lovely Mrs. M. And then my daughter got it as well. And my daughter, for those of you who have been keeping up was just coming off of mono. God bless her. Oh my goodness. Uh, mine seems to be the worst case of it so far. And I am, uh, I, I'm glad about that. Uh, I definitely did not want my daughter or the lovely Mrs. M to take, uh, the brunt of this thing. And so anyway, we'll just take it a step at a time. I'm just hoping my uh, uh, energy level, uh, which has been depleted, uh, will uh, come back soon. And I'm sure that's what everyone, well, what a lot of people of COVID think about. So anyway, anyway, so from the super secret Facebook group, by the way, if you are not part of the super secret Facebook group, and you would like to be, go to the Facebook application, And look up 
Sober Speak Secret Group. And there's a little sign there that says, ask for admission into the uh, group and we will get you on in there. But Jason posted uh, this week, he posted uh, something from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 129, and it caught my attention. And it said, oh my goodness, you know what? I am recording right here, and this is very strange. I'm hoping this continues, um, but my uh, the electricity just went out in the entire house. And uh, I'm in Texas right now, and it's 100 plus degrees here, and I'm wondering if this is the start of some sort of brownout. But I'm going to keep recording and hope that this thing takes. I'm looking at my little monitor right here. It goes into a digital recorder, and it looks like all is well thus far, but who knows exactly what's going to happen. This has never happened to me before in the midst of a recording. Anyway, here we go. Um, I mean, uh, for <laughs> this is what Jason posted. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Jason posted, he says, a spiritual life which does not include family obligations may not be so perfect after all. And that's from the family afterwards and uh, page 129 of the big book. And that kind of, that just really caught my attention. And I thought I'd go ahead and read it because I thought, well, maybe somebody else out there needs to hear that uh, What whenever you're listening to this. So once again, it's from page 129 of the big book. It says, a spiritual life, which does not include Family obligations may not be so perfect after all. Once again, maybe somebody out there needed to hear it. And my friend Nelson was actually in the super secret Facebook group and he posted something in there as well. And it says, uh, he said, my favorite phrase, one thing at a time. And then he's got in big capital letters, living in the now. And it says, first, we try living in the now. This is from, by the way, page seven of the book, Living Sober. And it says, first, we try living in the now uh, just in order to stay sober. And it works. Once the idea has become a part of our thinking, we find that living life in 24-hour segments is an effective and sat satisfying way to handle many other matters as well. I'll read it again. First, we try living in the now just in order to stay sober, and it works. Once the idea has become part of our thinking, we find that living life in 24-hour segments is an effective and satisfying way to handle many other matters as well. That's from Living Sober, page 7, if you want to look that up. So once again, uh, and, and when I think about what Nelson wrote, uh, you know, it can work with relationships, both personal relationships, work relationships, wherever you have relationships, whether you're the church, the synagogue, wherever you are, uh, relationships with people at the store who you may barely know, just relationships in general, and relationships also with the God of my understanding. It also works in, uh, like I said, uh, work situations. Uh, it works in medical situations when I'm receiving that x-ray or I'm receiving that report and I get it and maybe it's not the news I was expecting and um, I have to live with that one day at a time um, living in the now. Thank you so much for posting that, Mr. Nelson.
All right, now on to our featured guest of the week. This is PJ is her first name, and then her last initials are H-R. We got a lot of initials going on here, folks. I think it's like, in fact, I even asked her about it. So is it like PJ or P space J? And then the H, like H-R is a hyphenated last name. So it's, anyway, it's just a lot of initials going on here. So PJ, uh, we are featuring, and we're calling this one, Take the Traditions Off the Wall and Put Them in Your Life. I love that. Take the traditions off the wall and put them in your life. We talk about PJ's experience between eight and 10 years over that forced her to reevaluate how she was living her life. A lot of people go through the same sort of uh, reevaluation. We talked about the concept of disunity and how to practice the opposite of that, which is unity. We talk about PJ's encounter with a fortune teller, fortune teller, and how that helped catapult her into Alcoholics Anonymous. We talk about the difference between opened and closed meetings uh, in AA, why that's important. We address sponsorship and the concept of grat- of the gratitude thread. Uh, and listen to, to listen in to, to figure out what that is. The gratitude thread, the gratitude thread, excuse me. All right, everybody. <clears throat> so my electricity in the house is still off. So hopefully uh, there's nobody breaking in the house. You never can tell. But uh, uh, if this is the last recording you ever hear from me, God bless you. <laughs> it's been It's been nice knowing everybody, but I don't expect that to happen. We should have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with PJ. PJ PJH is your last initial, right, PJ? HR. HR. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Okay, well... (laughs) That is a lot of initials going here. We'll talk about that in just a second. So first of all, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. Okay. My name is PJ HR, <laughs> and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 7-4-88, and I live in Allen, Texas, uh, but my home group is the North Star Group in Richardson, Texas. Oh, well. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. at the Canyon Creek Presbyterian Church if anyone has an interest in attending. So w- say that again, where you meet again at the, the Canyon? Canyon Creek Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church, Church in Richardson. In Richardson. All right. Well, if you're if anybody's in the area and you want to pop on by and meet PJ, which I'm sure you'll want to, just uh, go on by and tell her you heard her on the pod. Uh, all right. So, well, first of all, Ju- July fourth, eighty eight. So that was the, you just say seven four, right? Yes, July fourth, nineteen eighty eight. Wow. Well, that's kind of a cool sobriety <laughs> date. It's kept me sober more than one time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. And let's talk about your, so your name. So you have the, the PJ, by the way, I've always wondered, I know there's the PJs and the RJs and the CJs and all, all the other initials too. Do you do the P period, J period, and then H period, R period? Like, how do you, or is it just PJ without any periods? It's PJ without any periods and a space and HR. 
Okay. So you get people, I'm assuming you get people who put the periods after it though, right? It doesn't bother me either way. <laughs> I mean, I've been called so much worse. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> and does PJ stand for something else or is your real name PJ? Uh, my first name is Paula and I married a man who his last name was Jones and all the kids where I coached found that out, my first name, and they started calling me Coach PJ. But before that, when I was in junior high, I wore pajamas to a slumber party, and they were footed pajamas, you know, like the one piece. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got the nickname there first. God. So it just keeps coming back around. So I gave up. So are we still married to Mr. Jones? Mm -hmm. No, no we lost him in alcoholism. <laughs> okay, well, at least his name kind of sort of lives on. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, my friends say it's when I was drinking, it stood for Paula Jezebel. So, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you live in Allen. Uh, and, and, uh, you're, you're sober on July 4th, 88. So, and also I, this is the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick. You are very close with Jimmy D, right? I am. And he is very popular for lack of a better word on this particular podcast. He How is, do you all know each other? He is well known. Uh, we used to actually go to the same group, the big, big group in Dallas, Texas, uh, I was going through a particularly difficult time, and my sponsor sentenced me there. And Jimmy must have been really pretty young in sobriety, but we just hit it off. And he was going to the area assemblies, and I was a GSR at my group, and I was going to the area assemblies, and I would bum cigarettes from him. I hate to say that, but I would, I'd quit smoking, but I'd bum from him when I saw him. And we just became very, very close, and then... Our uh, his grandmother and my mother uh, were kind of going through the same health issues at the same time as they were making their transition, and so I think that even brought us closer than we ever would have been. So, and yeah, he's my brother from another mother. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> um, you know, every time I think of Jimmy, when when he's either sitting here with me. Uh, and I'm asking him some questions or even off mic or whenever we're having conversations, he always does that thing where he pauses, you know, and he crosses his arms and nobody can see what I'm doing right now. But PJ Slavish, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Kind of puts his fingers on his chin and he thinks and it's really, uh, uh, it's so classic Jimmy D. I, I, and I love it. Uh, he's a great guy. All right. So, um, I, I, the you know and I, so we were talking a little off mic before we started recording here and this is just something i want to dive into right off the bat you mentioned that the traditions saved your life uh and literally you you mean that is not being metaphorical so why don't you talk about that and what you mean by the traditions saved your life well, what ended up happening for me was eight to 10 years of sobriety uh, was probably the darkest time I have ever had in my sobriety. Uh, my ex-husband who had disappeared showed back up after seven years and wanted the, the, my kids. My oldest son was in 
um, treatment for lymphoma. I had remarried, and we were the perfect AA couple. We fought all the way to the meeting. We went to the meeting and acted like we were the perfect AA couple and then fought all the way home. And so that ended up dissolving in a very spectacular kind of way. And I called my sponsor and asked her if I could stay with her, and she was drunk. Oh, wow. And then I ended up living in my car with my kids and finally asked my father, for the money so I could get back in the house and get a divorce. And then my dad fell and broke his hip and died. Wow. So I had a lot happen. Now, I wish I could tell you that I ran and found another sponsor, but I did not. I did not. And so for those eight to 10 years, you know, you have defects of character that you're carrying around with you. And hopefully they're just a knapsack. But by the time I was 10 years sober, I was carrying a semi-trailer full of defects of character and the things that had been the worst for me when I was drinking and I had to tell on a fist step, I ended up doing sober. And um, so when I met my, who was the woman who was to become my new sponsor, um, you know, I kind of didn't know what I was getting into except that she had sobered up in West Texas. She'd had a spiritual experience in Fort Davis. She, um, had, didn't have her kids for a period of time when she first got sober, and I was just drawn to that. And so we met a couple of times, and um, and she sat me down, and she said, well, I don't know how you've stayed sober, but you've stayed sober. But what we're going to do is we're going to put those traditions, we're going to take them off the wall, and we're going to put them in your life. And I had to look at the traditions in three areas. I had to look at the traditions in uh, AA, how was I as an AA member? How was I in my personal relationships? And how was I at work? Mm. I had to take those off the walls and start living and finding where was I bringing unity? And the truth of the matter was I was bringing a lot of disunity. Okay, so I'm, I missed it. I want to make sure I got this. So you said personal relationships, work, and then what was the third one? AA. AA. Gotcha. So you said you were bringing disunity. I didn't realize it, but I was bringing disunity. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, well, I can give you a good example of, of what disunity looks like. There was a kid who used to come in the meeting that I would go to, and he'd have his headphones on, and He'd sleep through the meeting, and I would get so angry at him. And I was in my don't talk to me. I had a T-shirt that said, what makes you think I'm a people person? <laughs> and people need to stay away from me. And, uh, you know, slowly I, I would talk about him. You know, I would say, why don't you men get him and take him out of the meeting? You know, I was the one who was bringing the disunity, not him. And the funny thing is, we never know when our defects of character are going to help somebody. So I'm sitting in the corner one time, and he comes and sits right by me. And I was going to tell him off after the meeting. I, was, I couldn't even say the Lord's Prayer at the end. I was so mad. And as soon as the Lord's Prayer ended, that kid wouldn't let go of my hand. And he looked at me, and he says, you know what? You're the only one in this room I like. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. And he said, yeah, you don't like people either. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, I was bringing disunity, and God can change anything into something positive. Right. And then at work, I had to look at that as well. And I was a loner. You know, that brings disunity if you're a loner, uh, you know, and, and trying to go off and do things on my own without collaboration. And I think me sitting in the corner was me being a loner instead of wanting to participate. You know, and yet you still are trying to get attention. I hate to say that. And uh, it just, it took a while for me to be willing to look at where I was bringing, bringing disunity into the AA fellowship, the AA program. Nobody was asking me to sponsor them, which was a good thing. I wasn't bringing it in those relationships right away. But, uh, you know, unity is our fundamental principle in the traditions. And I always tell people, if we violate a tradition, say it's tradition five, primary purpose, then not only have we violated tradition five, we've violated tradition one because we violated the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. Okay, so that's some really good stuff to start out with here. Um, Let's backtrack a little bit now and talk about PJ, your story, kind of, you know, what it was like, you know, or what you were like, what happened and what you're like now in terms of where, I mean, obviously you can tell from the accent, you did not grow up in New Jersey. No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) So where did you, where did you grow up? I always like to say I grew up in the home of the three B's. It was the home of Bluebell Ice Cream. It was the birthplace of Texas, of the Republic of Texas. And when I was growing up, they consumed more beer than any other place in the nation (laughs) per capita. And that was Brenham, Texas. (laughs) And then I sobered up out in West Texas. So I've got the worst of both Texas accents. So Brenham, where Bluebell's from, is actually the birthplace of Texas? Is that Yes, it's in Washington County. And Washington County is where they signed the Declaration of Independence on March 2nd. And uh, 18, I don't know the year, but uh, yeah, they and Texas became a republic at that moment in time. It was its own country. How about that? A little history lesson for yes. everybody here. I'm sure people <laughs> listening in Estonia or whatever are going, I really don't care, but <laughs> thanks anyway. <laughs> all, right, so, uh, all right, so so that's where you grew up. I, I, was it a, you know, happy childhood? Or? Um, You know... Things change when you look back, you know. My parents tried so hard to instill good values and morals. Uh, There were four of us, My uh, and I say we're five years apart. My oldest sister's 15 years older than me, then the next one's 10. My brother's five, and then there's me. The two oldest grew up in in poverty. My dad was a day laborer. And uh, and yet, by the time I came along and my brother came along, um, they my dad owned several businesses, and so uh, we had very different lifestyles. Very interesting. Very different. And the two oldest grew up, and you know, one became a a, a PhD 
at uh, UTD teaching creative writing. The other one owned a business, and my brother and I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. You would think that the ones who grew up without anything would have more of a struggle, but they, from a societal perspective, at least kind of excelled. Very interesting. We should have some sort of like psychologist or whatever come analyze your family. Oh, please, no. (laughs) (laughs) As my sister, my oldest sister used to say, you know, we're lucky we grew up as normal as we did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Okay, so do and and how about the brothers and sisters? Talk to me about that journey throughout, you know, both before you were sober and afterwards. I'm always curious about that. Um, My brother and I, of course, were drinking buddies from the time that he found out I was drinking. And, you know, I grew up in a family that was very, very religious and, um, my oldest sister, I, I don't have Just a, real quick, do, do you consider that a positive, negative, kind of a neutral? Um, I think that they were doing the very best that they could to instill values in me and my perspective, because my two older sisters grew up in the same religion, and their perspective is nothing like my perspective was. What are the differences? Um, I don't, I mean, I grew up, of course, I was doing things that I could go to hell for, <laughs> But I grew up thinking I'm going to hell, you know, and they they seemed to get the grace that I just never heard until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. And did you, after you got sober, did you return to your roots? Um, Actually, I did for not not exactly to that religion, uh, but I did. I have off and on gone back to different religions um, and philosophies. I I am not an active churchgoer, um, but I understand that, you know, there are people that get spirituality all kinds of ways. There's a, I used to have a saying that I put on my refrigerator and it, it to remind myself, it, it would say, there is but one truth, the sages speak of it by many names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So when you came to AA were, and people said this is about, you know, coming to, you know, God of your understanding and all that, was that a, did you think good or were you horrified? Horrible. Okay, you weren't real happy. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was like, in fact, I was extremely rebellious and would start letting people know what I thought about what they were saying about a higher power and, you know, actually... um I just was very, to talk about disunity, I was very, very disruptive to the point that um, <laughs> uh, they ended up saying, having a group conscience about my behavior. Wow. <laughs> and thank goodness my uh, sponsor had attended and told them that, you know, she, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking and but I had to get there and sit in my car till somebody came out and got me. Then I went in. Two people sat beside me. Well, wait a sec. Why did? Why were you sitting in your car? Because, because you because I was so disruptive that that's what they decided. <laughs> You're going to sit in your car. We'll come get you. We'll escort you in. You can sit in the meeting if you act up. We're escorting you out. If you don't act up, then after the meeting, we'll be happy to walk you back to your car. 
Wow. And so, I did that for 30 days, but I didn't go every day. I only went four times because <laughs> I was I was really going to punish them. <laughs> so what were you doing in the meetings? Were, were you Was it like verbal? Was it physical? Yes, yes. It was verbal. And I got up one time and I didn't mean to. We met in a church, but there was a lamp and I hit it and knocked it off and <laughs> broke it. And, and you know, I, yeah, I was just <laughs> terrible. And I had a man for a sponsor, which I don't recommend, but it worked fine because he had a black belt Al-Anon wife. And he never would say I was his sponsee except one time. And he said, I sponsor PJ and I'll never sponsor another woman again. (laughs) (laughs) You burned him out. (laughs) I did. Okay, so uh, and I and this is my fault. I keep going back and forth. But let me do this real quick. All right. You, we will be continuing our conversation with PJHR. <laughs> That's quite a mouthful. In just a moment, just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, there you will find approximately another, I don't know, 200 and... 45 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, so let me go back to the piece where, you know, we talked a little bit about your upbringing, childhood, where you were. Uh, I know you were starting to drink, you know. Uh, So, like, take me through those I, I don't know that that, that time before uh, or or the end of family life going up into Alcoholics Anonymous. Not the end of family life, but maybe getting out of the house or whatever right, the case would be. Right. Um, so I ended up um, going out to West Texas to uh, college because uh, my parents wanted me to go to a Christian university, and um, I kept leaving because I kept getting in trouble. And so I was actually at A&M and I met my future husband, Mr. Jones, (laughs) and uh, he ended up because he was in the oil industry. We moved to a place called Brownfield, Texas. It was a brown field of dirt. (laughs) 35 miles southwest of Lubbock. And I hated it. I'd grown up in the land of milk and honey, you know, and uh, but I was already drinking, you know terribly before that and but I was a teacher and a coach and um you know I uh, I always thought I was the life of the party you know when I drank and I loved to drink and uh, you know I tell people today if I could get by without the consequences I have no doubt I'd still be drinking today amen sister uh you know donate my body to science put that brain in the alcohol and it's gonna go glub 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 uh, but anyway uh, I ended up, what basically happened, and I can say it the lighthearted way or the unlighthearted way, so I think I'll do both. So I ended up getting pregnant. I have two boys, and I ended up getting pregnant for a third time, and I lost that baby, baby girl. Uh, and um, I know medically it was not all for my drinking, but the guilt yeah. was so heavy that I thought it did. So that was in July of 1987. I didn't come in till July of 1988. So, you know, there are those of us that take the elevator all the way down to the basement, and then we get a pickaxe because we got to dig deeper. And that's kind of drunk I was. And so I ended up 
my ex and I separated. I lost my two kids to him because of my behavior. I say I lost. I really gave them away. Um, and then how I ended up in AA. And back in that time, though, it was even more unusual, I believe, for the dad to end up with the children. Right. right? So Right. And, it, you know, and I'm so grateful because there were so many things they would have been exposed to had they been with me. And I did see them. It's not like I didn't see them. I just was kind of like I'd pick him up from school or from the babysitter and drop him off at his house and head to Lubbock so I could party with my lower companions, two drug dealers and a stripper. And uh, so how I ended up in AA was one of those times with my kids. Um, I'd locked, I'd gotten them uh, for spring break, and I had locked him in the backyard because I had said if I could get him, I wouldn't drink. You know, if I can just get him for spring break, I will not drink. And I didn't. But what I didn't know was the pain of drinking was going to be so much worse. I mean, the pain of not drinking was going to be so much worse than the pain of drinking. And after three days, I couldn't be in my own skin. And I locked him in the backyard. They were four and eight. And I put a knife to my wrist. And they saw it because we had a sliding glass door. Now, I got to tell you, I have a little bitty scar because it hurt. And I did not anticipate killing yourself would be painful. (laughs) So anyway, but that was just some of the damage I would have exposed them to. And I knew I needed help. And so I guess that was kind of my... My first moment of clarity, and I got in the car and I decided I'd go to Lubbock, and I I knew St. Mary's Hospital had a treatment center, and I figured I would go there and get help. But before I got there, there was a fortune teller, and so that was the first place I saw I thought I could get help, so I went to the (laughs) fortune teller. And she read my palm, and she told me three things. I don't remember what two of them were, but one was I needed to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Whoa, fortune teller? Fortune teller. (laughs) So I went. I went to my first meeting drunk, as most of us. No, I'm not going to say most of us, but often we do. uh, And told them I had nine years sober, and I didn't have nine minutes And after the meeting, I introduced myself as chemically dependent. And after the meeting, the only other woman in the room uh, came up to me. She was uh, chairing the meeting and she said, honey, do you think you have a problem with drinking? And I answered as honestly as I could, which is, I don't know. And she said, well, this is a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I suggest you go to open beginner meetings or open speaker meetings and learn. And if you find out you have what we have, please come back. Okay, so PJ, real quick, I I want uh, people to know here that uh, you have a lot of people listening. We we get new people listening all the time, right? And they may not understand that. So will you just kind of briefly walk through the open and closed meetings and what they are and why that lady was saying that? Sure, absolutely. The closed meetings are for alcoholics only, or people who have uh, who think they have a drinking problem, maybe they're not ready to say they're alcoholic, but they know they have a drinking problem. And the reason is, is because we have a common bond in that situation, in that closed meeting. We all have a common problem and a common solution. 
Um, the meeting that I used to go to out in West Texas, out in Lubbock, this is a pretty good example of an open meeting and sometimes what can happen. An open meeting should be more AA to me than any other of our meetings because we invite people in who are not members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's how we kind of showcase who we are. Uh, and what happened to a meeting that I used to go to, it was an open meeting and I didn't go to it for several years cause I moved and I went back and, um, seven people spoke before one of them identified as an alcoholic and you didn't have that camaraderie, you know, and you didn't have that common problem. And it wasn't long after that, that that group ended up closing because they had too many things going on instead of focusing on our common problem and our common solution. And so, and, and I get that, right? And uh, I, I'm a little bit more laxed about it right now now than I was when I first got sober. And what I mean by that is, so, so here's, here's what happens a bit nowadays. You have somebody come into a meeting uh, and... Uh, uh, they have brought their quote support person with them. Those people have no idea what the difference between an open and closed meeting is, right? They're just trying to, they're getting sober. Nobody wants to make a big deal of it. And then, so I, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but when, when you run across that, how do you navigate something like that? Uh, how I personally navigate it uh, in a meeting is that, um, in the, in a group that I used to go to, what we would do is if someone showed up and they didn't identify as an alcoholic or a problem drinker, or they were the support person, then the chairperson would, um, you know, just like call you over and, um, and say, would you take so and so and just visit with them for a minute? And so then, I would take them out if they were not an alcoholic, then I had the opportunity to share with them about Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a white sheet that says what AA is, what it isn't, to share with them about Al-Anon, Families Anonymous, if it was a younger person, where they might be able to get their help. <clears throat> with the person who didn't identify as an alcoholic, I talked to them as well. I mean, what better use of your time than have them sitting in a meeting confused when you can sit one and one, one on one with someone and share your experience, strength and hope and also listen to them. And you know, 9 times out of 10, those people had a drinking problem. <laughs> You know, and I'd I'd be listening, and I'd go, you know, that sounds kind of alcoholic to me. <laughs> you know, and then but I don't believe in this get out of the room you know, or embarrassing someone. Right. That is not what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. That's correct, right? And, you know, you and, and I would say it's kind of a case-by-case -case scenario, and you have to just use your best judgment, right? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you let them kind of sit, and I've done this for is let them sit through, and then afterwards you kind of have that, you know, that talk with them. Listen, I don't want you to have to go through this in the future, depending on which meeting you go to. If it is a closed meeting, it could turn into something, you know, that's uncomfortable for everybody. So here's the difference between right. the opening. And, you know, you, you just, you, you're... 
you're just respectful uh, and you have those conversations. Yes, because that's their introduction to Alcoholics right. Anonymous. Right. The last thing you want to do is embarrass people at, at group level. At, you're absolutely correct. And so that's what happened with me. Of course, I was like the second to the last person to share at that meeting. Uh, but that's what Rowena did. She came up and she explained it to me. Now, I got to go back and tell you something about that fortune teller. <laughs> A couple of years after that, uh, I go to a conference out in Fort Davis, and I walk up, and who's sitting there but that fortune teller? Really? <laughs> I said, I, re- I remember you. I-, I met you in March of 1988. And, and she asked me where it was, and I told her, and she just kind of smiled. She said, honey, I was telling everybody to go to Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> so I went. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get sober, but I went. And then I had, I laugh and say the other thing that happened to me was I, I picked up the wrong man and he happened to have 10 years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I heard the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, in the only place I could have heard at a bar. Oh, wow. And he, he knew an alcoholic when he saw one and he took me in the corner and he 12 stepped me. Really? Yes. Now, have you seen that? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. In fact, we stayed. Um, I haven't talked to him since probably the pandemic, but um, I used to call him every year and thank him on my birthday because that was like the third week in June. And then I went on one more trip with my lower companions uh, who told me I had embarrassed them because... I was a drunk, and I had embarrassed them for the last time. You you had embarrassed your lower companions? My lower <laughs> companions were embarrassed by my behavior. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, I don't remember what we were saying, but that's how I ended up in AA. And, yes, I, ended, I, I, I have stayed in touch with CC. Uh, in fact, I was speaking at two a, more initials. Yeah, <laughs> I was speaking at an anniversary in Fort Worth, and I hadn't been able to get in touch with him. He lived in Midland, and I'd lost touch with him. And after the meeting, he came up to me. I didn't recognize him because he had like this mountain man beard and gray hair, and and said, "I'm CC," and we reconnected. And so it was really an emotional and cool day because it was on the Fourth of July. Wow. What a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then. Let's turn to sobriety. Um, and I, I run into this all the time. You know, how do you, what, is it 34, 35 years? Is that how long you've been sober? 30, 33. 33. Don't okay. give me any credit. Okay. <laughs> you say you've been sober for 33 years. And how do you cover, you know, uh, take me through some highlights of the 33 years, whatever you want to talk about. Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I think whenever I got, um, I'll just tell you one thing that's going on right now that's a highlight for me. Um, I am on a gratitude thread with four other women that I sobered up with in West Texas. Okay, what's a gratitude thread? Is that a well, text? Well, we, yeah, we have a text thread and we list our gratitude for the day. And sometimes we tell what we're working on, we tell on ourselves, you know, whatever. But these, um, of these five of us, I have the second to the least amount of sobriety. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. And so uh, that is very much a highlight for me to hear. And this came about because of the pandemic that we reached out, you know, one by one, reached out to each other. And, um, and it's just, it's such a great experience. Okay. So for other people that are listening out there and they think, wow, well, that kind of sounds like a good idea. I may want to start out something like that myself. Can you kind of talk about the structure of the Mm -hmm. text? Yes. It's just, I'm grateful for, and you must list three things that you're grateful for. And it, we don't have this as a rule, you know, but it's kind of like, don't say the same three things over and over and over again. And so, um, you know, it's just, it, it, in a way I tell people it's my prayer and meditation. Yeah. You know, I wake up in the morning, ding, 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 they're coming in, you know, and I can read theirs and then I, I get quiet so I can reflect, you know, what is it I'm grateful for? You know, and today I have my phone off, so I can't look it up, but I'm grateful for five things, you know, and one of them, you know, was, you know, I look and I know I have a situation where I've been carrying the drunk instead of carrying the message. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think sometimes, gosh, they probably said it about me. Sometimes we can work with people and we want sobriety for them more than they want it for themselves. Mm. And that's what I mean by carrying the drunk and not carrying the message. And, you know, in our literature, it says, you know, if they don't want it, that's fine, you know, but turn your attention to someone you can help. And so it was a realization that, you know, that's on me. You know, what's happening here is on me. And so I need to uh, take a step back. And if that person wants what I have, then that's fabulous, and I'll be happy to work with them again. Um, but if if not, then they need to find someone that work, you know, that it will work for them. And it, I need to move on to someone that I can help. Let's talk about sponsorship a little bit. Um, I, I know you've sponsored quite a few people. Um, and, uh, and you've been sponsored. Just, so just give me your general thoughts and ideas on sponsorship. I think sponsorship is almost a sacred, uh, relationship. Um, my sponsor is not my friend. She's not my family. I remember asking Naomi one time, you know, are we friends? And she said, oh, honey, no, we're not friends. We're closer than friends. Mm. You know, uh, but she wasn't there to pat me on the back and tell me what a good job I was doing. She was there to help me correct my defects and my behavior. In fact, we did a thing called uh, behaviors, principles, and values that I had to look at what was acceptable to me and what was unacceptable in 10 areas of my life. Um, and you know, it wasn't her values or principles or behaviors. It was mine. And, um, you know, that was very eye opening for me. Okay. So let's talk. Um, um, what I'm envisioning out there right now is people listening to this and they go, well, that sounds like an interesting kind of exercise, if you will. So first of all, where do you, where is there some sort of 
texts where you extracted this behaviors, principles, and values from? She gave it to me. Okay. <laughs> it was one-on-one sitting with her. Okay, and- let's, let's give a, an example then of what it would look like if you're looking at whatever one of your conversations looks like. Okay, so for example, we would... You know, she would give me examples, uh, and one of the areas was uh, personal. You know, it was any and everything I could do with me as a person. So, you know, was it acceptable to have green hair? Not acceptable to have green hair. Well, at that time, it wasn't acceptable to have green hair, but it was acceptable because I was a whole lot younger to mow in my bikini. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and we did have some conversations (laughs) regarding... You know, uh, that I might be the only big book somebody saw, and uh, that probably wasn't the best. But I looked at that, and uh, that, then I looked at AA, what was acceptable and unacceptable. And one of the things that kind of was surprising to me, and it has to do with that disunity, uh, and, and she and I were visiting about it, was I would come into the meetings late. And... I'd share if they didn't call on me, you know, and she helped me see how selfish I was. First of all, could I get to the meeting on time? Yes, I could have gotten to the meeting on time. And then from there, okay, if you got to the meeting late, should you talk? There are all these people who got there on time. Do you think that that's selfish for you to go ahead and share your experience, strength, and hope because you're so important, you know? And so it was those kind of things, just little, what I call AA etiquette, <clears throat> you know, because I didn't, I didn't think about who I was disrupting when I walked in late, that they were talking, and that somebody in that room might really need to hear what they had to say, but I had disrupted. So... Those are just a couple of right. examples. That's behaviors, mm-hmm. principles, and values. And by the way, if anyone's listening and they you know want to reach out to PJ, just contact me at John, J-O-H-N, at SilverSpeak.com, and I can forward you on that information. And, of course, we started with the principles in the steps. You know, we looked at those 12 principles that a lot of people have hanging on the walls, you know, mm-hmm. places, and... Uh, And then I found out through reading the literature, because we studied the book, along with that, all the AA literature, there are so many principles. Right. In the steps, the traditions, the concepts, it's just amazing. So what I hear you saying is you extracted these principles out of the the traditions and the, the steps and the traditions, I guess, and you applied those toward real practical areas in your life, real specific situations. Yes, but, you know, all those principles are spiritual principles. They are. So what else? Okay, so just to kind of... uh, Put a bow on this, if you will. Okay. You have people listening to you from all walks of life. You know, some are very, very new in sobriety. I, I, I can't tell you how many messages I get from people that are just, you know, I'm just now starting on this journey, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, your guests have really been helpful. 
If you're talking to those people uh, and you're thinking about experience, strength, and hope from your perspective, what do you want to share regarding the 12 steps, Alcoholics Anonymous, possibly the 12 traditions? What kind of pops into your mind in terms of what you want to leave people with? Hmm. I think the thing I want to leave people with is don't ever give up. Now, if you're struggling, you know, sometimes the person who's struggling in the room may be the person with the most sobriety. Uh, find those people that you can trust and share with them. Get a sponsor, you know, and open up with that sponsor. Uh, and I think that for me is one of, and get in the literature. You know what? I'm going to read this to you because there was this old lady named Evelyn that I really didn't like very much. <laughs> but, she sat me down one time. She's actually, it's very interesting. She has been, uh, and she's dead now. She died right before her 50th AA birthday. But she um, has been my grand sponsor. Even today, the sponsor I have today, her sponsor was sponsored by Evelyn. <sighs> and so basically what, what Evelyn said, and my book is so old I can't even read my my writing, but the first thing she said was, you know, get a sponsor. Go to as many meetings as you can. Now, I was a single mom. She said, you got to go to three meetings a week. Now, she gave me all this unsolicited. Please understand that. Uh, <laughs> she said, uh, work the steps. Read AA literature daily. Uh, get a home group. She said, PJ... Uh, you need to visit other meetings besides just going to your home group because you're going to get mad at somebody in your home group and you need to go somewhere where they know you and they'll know when you're lying. <laughs> she said, a lot of people need meetings. PJ, you need a convention. <laughs> and so I would go from to conventions. And then, you know, she said, take the traditions off the wall and put them in your life. And help another person. So I guess that would just kind of sum it up. Yes. Take the traditions off the wall and put them in your life and help another person. I love that. This has been really a pleasure. <laughs> Thank I you. hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I think on the way over here, you said something like, I don't think you've ever been on a podcast before, right? Which I run into a bit. No, I have never been on a podcast. Well, now you have. <laughs> uh, you had been on the radio doing something in the past, right? Yes, professionally with my job. So, oh, really? Oh, so are you in the treatment arena? I, I used to be. I'm retired now, but I was a school administrator. And so I was on a couple of radio programs related to education. Gotcha. Well, this wasn't as scary as uh, you anticipated, I'm hoping. No, I feel much better now. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. And I'm, I'm really glad that you came over. We call this uh, Studio A. <laughs> I say we. I call it Studio A. <laughs> And you know we're all, we're both kind of looking around right now. Like, yeah, you know it's basically a guest bedroom with a couple of mics. But it works. It works. It works, it works. fine. <laughs>
All right. Well, thank you so much, PJ. I always ended up with uh, page 164 from the big book. And uh, I'm going to read that real quick. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and PJ, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. By the way, PJ, now, I asked you when you came over, basically I ask people this because I want to see if they have a general idea of where I'm going, but I'm like, "Uh, have you ever listened to any of the episodes? PJ's like, no, no, I've never listened. So now you'll have to listen to this one though. Oh no, I don't listen to myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, PJ. Well, thank you. PJH.com. P-H dot R, right? P-J-H slash, if you want to look at oh, it that H way. Slash. H slash R. Okay, when we, get, when we stop recording here, I'll ask you why there's a slash. That I got all. a new man. Oh! Well, he's not new. He's 20 years <laughs> in the making. I mean, we've been together 20 years, but... <laughs> he's 20 years in the making. <laughs> We're still evolving. <laughs> Okay, so so H must have been your maiden name. Uh-huh. Oh, and then the slash, and then the R is the new man. That's right. Gotcha. Okay, now the mystery is solved. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, PJ. Have a good one. Thank you. Isn't PJ something else? She is absolutely fantastic. I love spending time with her. Remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip, but We would love you sharing this episode with another friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. And uh, if you want to send me some uh, feedback on either PJ or any of the other guests that we have on this program, or just say hello, please feel feel free to email me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Now, I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of this episode... I let you know that there was something going on with uh, our uh, electricity in the house, and uh, it actually went out for I don't know four hours or something like that. And uh, we're having record uh, heat here in Texas, uh, but you know what? <clears throat> that to me is just an inconvenience. In other words, there are so many people dealing with so much worse stuff in this world and uh, those sort of things happen. So uh, generally speaking, I would have uh, been recording the the back end of this episode right after I recorded that intro, just so you know a little bit of my mixing and matching and, and, and timing and how I do all this stuff like anybody really cares. Uh, but uh, now it is into the next day. But for you, it's now. It's whenever you're listening to it, right? So <clears throat> anyway, here we go with a little bit of a listener feedback. Coop writes in. And Coop says, John, I wanted to reach out once again and say thank you for everything you do. I'm not sure you will ever truly realize the contribution to the recovery world you have made. If I continue to do what those before me have suggested, I will have 12 years tomorrow. 
Yeehaw, Coop. That is fantastic. 12 years. Congratulations, my friend. 12 years, 12 steps, 12 traditions, 12 concepts, and 12 years for Mr. Coop. Anyway, he says, finding your podcast early this year was the catalyst that blew my sobriety up. (laughs) I love how you phrase that. He says, after reaching out to you and in turn, you putting me in touch with Gary Kay, my sober life has taken off in a way I could never have dreamed of. The people I have met through him then have opened my eyes to the things that I didn't know that I didn't know. Oh, that's great. I have been truly rocketed into the fourth dimension. You, my friend, John M., were the launching pad for the rocket that Gary has been piloting and helping me navigate. Oh, that's cool. I have been blessed to meet some of these people in person and hope to meet more of them. And maybe one day I'll get to meet you as well. I love you, my friend, and I hope and I owe you a debt that cannot ever be fully repaid. Thank you again, Coop. Well, Coop, love back at you, my friend, and I'm so, so, that you know that's why we do this thing right for community building and for helping people along in their walk and kind of taking the edge out their day you know i don't talk about politics or anything like that uh, um anyway and i'm just so glad that you were able to get hooked up with gary k and that you all have uh, bonded and formed a relationship that is fantastic hannah direct messages on the Insta. And she says, John, thanks for all you do for the sober community around the world. I am from Northern Michigan and I listen to your podcast often. Well, hello, Hannah up there in Northern Michigan. I'm glad you're listening to us and I'm glad you uh, uh, enable us or let us be part of your journey. I appreciate it. Anicia writes in and she says, Hey, John, it's been a long time between emails. Yes, Anicia, I remember you. She says, I've been meaning to send you a message since the last Jimmy D episode, and I just got distracted by life. Anywho, she says, (laughs) it was good to hear Jimmy D and Matthew M again and all your guests since. Great examples of God and the program and how they work in their lives. The shares are always heart lifters. Oh, gotta like that. Hot lifters. I know you're from uh, Australia. Anyway, she says, I can feel the humility, joy, and spirit in their voices. Always a treat. And I know you sometimes like to know where we're at and what we're doing. Yes, when Sober Speak reaches us. Well, my favorite thing to do is be on the garden on Sundays. I love being outside in the sunshine, digging the weeds, mowing the lawn, planting. It's a perfect way to be present with God, nature, and (laughs) y'all. I know she's putting y'all in there for for us Texans, because my guess is she does not use y'all on a consistent basis there in Australia. Australia. Um, And uh, then she puts a big heart emoji and a big prayer prayer hand emojis. And then she says, I'd like to ask a wee fave of Joe Muck. (laughs) 
<laughs> a wee fave. You got it. Gosh, that so much reminds me, uh, Anicia. I, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast before that my my mom was from Scotland, and I grew up with her and my grandmother, who was from Scotland, and my aunt, who's from Scotland. And you know, they just used to use words like that all the time. A wee fave of Joe Muck. She said. Anicia says, he mentioned in his talk, a sweet friend Nancy had given him some Bob White and Chuck Chamberlain recordings. I'm very interested in those as Bob W. was my husband or, or was the husband of Marcy W., both of whom were beacons of recovery in AA and Al-Anon in Texas. My sponsorship lineage comes down the line from Marcy. Yeah, if I remember right, uh, I believe uh, Vinoy is either your sponsor or, uh, or your grand sponsor, something like that. Anyway, she says, I was wondering if those talks are available or if Joe would be so kind slash willing to share those or a couple. I would be most grateful if you could forward my, requ my request. Much love and appreciation to you and yours, John, and can Continued thanks for an exceptional podcast. Anicia from Australia with a big Australian flag. Oh, crikey. I love it. Uh, good day, uh, <clears throat> uh, Anicia. And uh, as you know, I copied Joe Muck on that email and he got some information back out to you. And I'll get out of the middle, let you guys uh, communicate about that. But I, I, that's absolutely fantastic. You knew those people he was talking to. Matthew O writes in and Matthew says, hi, John M. I wanted to tell you that your podcast in parentheses, finally with an exclamation point, got me through the doors of my first AA meeting. Oh, that is cool. He says, I'm 37 years old and I've been trying to get myself into recovery for a few years now. On my first day of sobriety, Monday, the 6th of June, uh, 22, I found your podcast uh, 2022. I found your podcast on Spotify and I listened to about 20 episodes in two days. On Saturday, I found a group near my home and I finally walked through the big scary doors to find a room of loving and accepting folks that made me feel so good. Ah, Matthew, that makes my day. Uh, that, that, that just, that warms my heart. It really does. Anyway, says, anyway, says, I know, anyway, I know the road is long, uh, but I'm so happy to be on it. And I appreciate what you and your guests are doing. Keep up the good work. Uh, you can't see me right now. Um, Matthew O, but I'm, I'm bending over with prayer hands and I'm just so, I'm so glad for you and thankful, uh, that we're able to be a part of your journey. Keep up the good work. Okay. Get plugged in there with those folks. Brendan writes in and he says, good evening, John. <clears throat> I am Brendan and I live in the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, Australia. Oh, well, I wonder. Australia, I, w I wonder if he knows Anisia. <laughs> I'm sure everybody in Australia knows each other. He says, I found your podcast, which I have been listening to most, most nights morning when I can't sleep. And it's too late to call another member of AA. Oh, that's very cool, Brendan. Um, 
Guy, you know what? I'm sorry. This is where my pea brain goes. And for those of you still listening along, uh, this this is going way off into the deep end. But what I'm thinking about, there. Okay, so I watch. There's there's junk TV I watch in order to just to calm my mind down at night. Right. One is. Uh, 90 Day Fiance. I don't know why I like that. I'm hooked on it. My family thinks I'm crazy and I know I shouldn't watch it, right? I know it's not godly and I know it's not the thing that I would want others to watch, but I do watch it. And then there's another one though. It's called uh, Married at First Sight. And the reason I bring that up is because on Married at First Sight, they have an Australian version. And I believe there's people in that particular particular those episodes of that are from Victoria so I think about that and I'm so sorry Brendan now I'm completely distracted but God bless you thank you for writing in and please don't tell anybody else I'm watching that crap TV okay (laughs) all right Uh, Janice (coughs) excuse me folks Janice writes in she says John I live in Tampa, Florida for the last 20 years. I got sober in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so this is something I shouldn't say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. So Janice, this has nothing to do with you, okay? But when whenever I hear other people say that they are from Tampa, I always wonder, well, do they call people that live in Tampa tampons? They probably do not. Right, there's probably tamponians or something like that, or tampites or whatever the case may be. But I've always wondered that. But nonetheless, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, so anyway, uh, Janice writes in. She says, "I live in Tampa, Florida, for the last 20 years. I got sober in Dayton, Ohio. I have been clean and sober since October 16th, 1985. Well, you are a old well." I don't know what they call old timers, long timers, whatever you want to call it. You've been around in the program for a while, which is fantastic. But for the grace of God and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous sponsorship, staying involved and being of service and carrying the message of the 12 step calls with men to wet drunks to jails, prisons, institutions, treatment centers, and attending conferences, conventions, and listening to the winners. Well, you're doing all the right stuff there. No wonder you've been around since 1985. That is fantastic, Janice. Uh, I have met many of your guests. What a gift. The real joy of life is found here in our rooms. And I found you, John Ann, through Audible. You know, I've heard people finding me through Audible. I don't. I never registered to be on, on Audible, but I'm glad I'm on Audible. Anyway, she says, "Thank you for being of service." I have been listening. Uh, I have many others listening to your podcast now. Well, thank you. That is so cool to hear from you, Janice, uh, out there in Tampa, and and you have a good uh, rest of your day, week, whenever you're listening to this. God bless you. I'm glad you uh, wrote in. Tony writes in, uh, and the subject line was Tim F. He was listening to Tim F. Uh, I believe this was from part one. And he says, hey, John, Tim, uh, uh, what an episode, Tim F. And he puts in quotes, look, Ma, 
it stopped blowing. And he's talking about one of uh, Tim's quotes from the episode. He says, but, but we are worthy. I connect with Tim F story on so many levels. Thank you so much. I've just been at my dad's in Glasgow for a week. He's going downhill fast, but it is what it is. AA, AA has taught me acceptance. That in and of itself brings serenity in some form amidst all the craziness. Thank you again, Tony D in Norway. Well, God bless you, your dad, and all of your family out there, Tony. Uh, I know you'll get through it, uh, and I appreciate you keeping me posted along the way and the listeners. Finally, Audrey writes in and she says, Hi, John. I live in Rockport, Texas. Oh, that's near me. She says, My uh, sobriety date is September 1st of 2011. Oh, wow. That's right before September 11th. Am I got that right? Or, no, no, that was 2001. I'm sorry. Anyway, as far as my recovery, I fought long and hard to keep alcohol in my life until I almost died. My night of surrender, which was August 13th of 2011, was the most fearful and the most beautiful night of my life. On that night, I was given the the most precious G-O-D, which brought me to my knees for the first time and forced me to fully concede to my innermost self and the God, uh, and God the truth about my alcoholism. <clears throat> The next day, I was awakened to a new life and returned back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today, I am truly happy, free, joyous. I love the AA fellowship and the program that helps me to continue, uh, that helps me to keep changing and becoming everything that I was born to be, Audrey H. God bless you, Audrey. Um, that was beautiful how you phrased that, how the program that helps me to keep changing and becoming everything that I was born to be. So beautiful. All right, everybody. That's another week. Uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. As you, everybody knows, I take this one week at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work, if you, if you work it and, uh, May God bless you and keep you until then.